This is the After Hours Director's Spotlight, presented by Amro Music. It's the podcast where we chat with music educators to celebrate the joy of teaching music and learn about strategies for success. In this episode, Nick Averwater talks with Dr. Sarah Labovitz. She's the Associate Director of Bands and Coordinator of Music Education at Arkansas State University in Jonesboro. In this first of two episodes with Dr. Labovitz, she talks about the advice she gives to new band directors, ways to avoid burnout, and how to embrace all of the necessary tasks involved with being a music educator that may not feel very creative or artistic. Here's part one of our conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to After Hours Director Spotlight. During these conversations, we sit down with some of the best educators we can find, and we simply want to unpack their career and better understand the influences that made them the educator that they are today and what lessons they can share with some of their fellow music educators. And today I have the privilege of sitting down with an educator that inspires me with what she is doing over at Arkansas State University, and that's Dr. Sarah Labovitz. Dr. Sarah, welcome to After Hours. It's good to see you. Thanks so much for having me, Nick. I'm really happy to be here. Well, we're excited. I know that you have so many wonderful things going on in Northeast Arkansas at Arkansas State. You and your husband are both educators. I mean, you all are is in the fabric of music education as anybody we've met. But for our listeners that perhaps have not met you or do not know who you are, can you just take us through uh, what brought you to Arkansas State and the position that you're in today? Sure. Um, well, for anyone that is aspiring to be a collegiate uh, band director or collegiate music educator, uh, you should know on the front end that um, you have to be very willing to move wherever. So when when I am asked the question, what brought you to Arkansas State? My answer is the job brought me to Arkansas State. Uh, I was graduating with my uh, DMA in wind conducting from the University of Kansas, hoping to find a position where I could both teach band, conduct band, and uh, teach people how to be teachers. That was my ultimate career goal was to to be a music educator that, that taught other aspiring music educators. And I tell folks that I won life lottery that I ended up right after my graduation from KU here in Jonesboro, Arkansas, at Arkansas State University, uh, in a tremendous music department with great mentors. Uh, and my husband actually got a job band directing right away. When we first moved to Jonesboro, he was the the band director at Buffalo Island Central in Monette, Arkansas. And currently he, he uh, is getting ready to be the high school band director at Valley View High School in Jonesboro, Arkansas for uh, this upcoming school year. That's fabulous. Well, one of the things that I always um, enjoy chatting with you about, Dr. Sarah, is um, you work with so many young educators, and you're such a positive influence. And before we dive into that conversation, though, I would like to hear just a little bit about who are the people that influenced you and had a positive impact both on your teaching style and the type of educator that you strive to be today? Oh, man, that's a lot of people. Uh, and I probably have to go back a long ways to when I was in high school. Uh, I think my first um, or junior high, rather, my first uh, real role model uh, to be a, a music teacher was my middle school band director, Mr. Crane. Uh, and he retired as I was leaving middle school. And, and just so you could feel 
how much of an impact he made on not only his his middle school band program, but the community. Because as a, a little eighth grader, I'm seeing how many people have stories about working with Mr. Crane in the past and how much he meant on their life. And so as a middle school student, uh, not having any clue she wanted to be a band director at that point, just seeing all the outpouring of love and nostalgia and great memories that could happen through music making, that, that stuck with me. Then I moved to high school. We had a new band director uh, my freshman year of high school. His name was Mr. Weaver, and he did a really good job of encouraging my passion with music. And it was during high school that I decided I wanted to be a band director. And uh, my high school band director uh, actually secured my friend and I uh, uh, passes to the Ohio Music Educators Association for us. Uh, They were exhibitor badges that we got through our local music store that enabled us to attend that convention as high school students. And I remember my very first clinic I went to as a high school senior was a percussion clinic. And I just I couldn't take notes fast enough. Uh, I was like, I know nothing about percussion. I'm a high school saxophone and clarinet player, but I know I want to be a band director. And, and just uh, the Ohio Music Educators Association conference is is fairly large. It's not near as big as say TMEA, but it's it's um, it's quite larger than a lot of other states. And and to have that experience as a high school s- student was really formative. Then I went to Bowling Green State University for my undergrad, where I had a lot of uh, great experiences with teachers. Dr. Bruce Moss was the director of bands at BG, and he made participating in band a really special and memorable experience. Um, my One of my biggest mentors at BG was my how-to-be-a-band-director teacher, Mr. Neal. Mr. Neal was a retired public school band director who taught adjunct at BG and taught the how-to-be-a-band-director class. And I can remember calling him after I got my first job offer for a high school position that also involved uh, conducting a full orchestra. And I was so nervous to take that job because I didn't consider myself an orchestral director. And I can remember calling Mr. Neal and, and, and him being like, do you think you have good ears? And I was like, yes, sir, I think I do. He's like, then what's the holdup? <laughs> He's like, if you have good ears uh, and and you are 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 willing to look up what you don't know, you're gonna you're gonna be great. And uh, and that was the nudge I needed to accept that job. And uh, and so that was my first job. I was the director of instrumental music at Lorraine uh, at Lorraine High School in Lorraine, Ohio. And actually, as a first year teacher, I had two assistants under my. Uh, guidance. It was, uh, when I look back, I think, how did I get that job as a first year teacher? Um, But again, another life lottery moment that, um, that district was very diverse. And uh, it had a low socioeconomic status, but had a lot going on for its students, uh, despite some of the economic uh, uh, weaknesses. And, uh, and it was really, it was a really good first job for someone who eventually wanted to teach band directors because all of those first year, oh my gosh, what happens when you do this? I experienced them. <laughs> uh, and so I collected a lot of good stories and experiences to share with with my current students. And after that, um, I went to Indiana University where I met uh, Dr. Paul Popeil, who was uh, one of the band directors there. And then uh, when I was looking to go back for my doctorate in conducting, he earned the position as the director of bands at the University of Kansas. And he said, do you want to be my first grad student? I was like, yes, I do. And so uh, Paul Popeil at the University of Kansas not only was a big mentor for me with conducting and rehearsing, but also as a person who who was so effective as an educator and so 
so and so visibly a great musician, but still had a really good work life balance um, that he always prioritized his family. And he always you I always got the sense in talking to him that that he knew what his priorities were and and his family was first and his love of music and teaching was second. And I and I still to this day try to emulate that. I love my job. I love teaching. I love music. I love band directing. Um, but I think one of the things that makes people a really great teacher and a really great musician is having a lived life with a lot of experiences and a full range of emotions. And just so you're interesting, I think you're a better musician and teacher if you're interesting. And so I still try to emulate that great work-life balance that I observe from my mentor, Paul Popeil in order to be the very best at my job now. That's awesome. Well, certainly a long list of people who have helped influence the educator that you are today, and, and I know you're continuing to pay it forward through the, the many students that you continue to work with. So I want to kick off our conversation. Of course, for you as a teacher of teachers, you interact with a lot of juniors and seniors, but you also have this wonderful network. One of the things that I respect so much about Arkansas State is how you all continue to mentor and pour into your students, even though after they've walked across the stage and they've graduated. And so as a result, you get to stay in touch with a lot of them, and you get to see some of the challenges. Take me through some of the most frequent challenges that you see young educators making out there and some ways that you're trying to encourage them to either proactively avoid those challenges or perhaps reactively overcome them once they've encountered them. That's a great question. Um, I would say one of the, first of all, I do, I'm always texting my recently graduated students and I, and I tell them when they graduate that no, no question is a stupid question. Please reach out. And, and if you, if you just need to vent or if you, if you need some advice, we're, we're happy to give it and happy to help. Um, and one of the things that I frequently get texted or emailed from uh, recent graduates is, hey, I was thinking about playing this, what do you think? Or I'm thinking about this being my marching band show, what do you think? Uh, and I love getting those texts or emails, because oftentimes I can stop them from making what, from my observation, is one of the the most common mistakes of a young teacher, which is over-programming, um, especially that very first marching season. Um, my rule of thumb for marching band programming for your show is take the top grade level that your group can play sitting down and subtract at least one for what you should be looking at for your marching band show. Um, so if your group can play at at the hardest, a grade three piece of music inside, then you shouldn't be looking at a marching band show that's harder than a grade two. Because there's so many other things we have to teach during marching season. We're not just teaching that music. We're teaching marching fundamentals. We're teaching our drill. We're teaching body work. We're physically trying to do all of those things together. And for young, uh, younger students in your band, it can be a little hard to be that coordinated to do all those things. And so if you want to have a successful marching band season, for me, it does not start with picking the, the hardest show, the most interesting and intricate show that your students can do. For me, it starts with picking a show that is going to allow your, your, your marching band production to be cohesive and to, to score really well. The, um, <laughs> the reality of going to marching band competitions is you'll get points for your book. 
you'll get points for how how good your music is or how challenging your music is or how um how uh how contrasting it is because that will affect how you march and so if you have just everybody playing the whole time it's really hard to make a cohesive interesting uh on stage production because if you want the drill and the general effect to look like the music and the music sounds the same the whole time you're not going to have a very interesting on the field show and so if you pick some music that is a little easier but has a lot of contrast your field show can very easily look like the music and then that can be contrasting too and you can score really really well um but if you just play hard music and don't get to think about all of those things uh you might not have as successful of a first marching band season as you want to. And that first marching band um, season can, can set the tone for your entire time at that school. And when you think about um, the curriculum for people in programming programs, learning how to be band directors, we do not spend very much time talking about marching band. You might take a marching band uh, methods class. You might uh, march in your college marching band for two, three, four years. Um, but that's it. We spend much more of our time preparing you for programming for a concert band and how to run a concert band rehearsal. And for most of uh, us, our first thing we have to do in when we're hired is, is marching band. So when they send me, they text me, hey, I was thinking about doing this show, I will go and listen to it. And I'll be like, just shoot them back questions. I try never uh, to give, uh, it's a little frustrating for them probably, but I try to never just like say yes or no to something. Like if someone says, hey, should I program this? I don't want to say yes or no. I don't want it to be my decision. I want it to be your decision. So if it's successful, it's your success. And if it's not successful, it's not my not success. <laughs> um, so so I will shoot them back a bunch of questions. So if they text me like, hey, I was thinking about this tune and I know that the first trumpet book goes up really high, I'll be like, hey, do you have the trumpets that have that range or that endurance? Uh, instead of just going, oh, man, I wouldn't do that. The trumpet part is so hard. And so um, I'm trying to always uh, teach a man to fish instead of give a man a fish. And so if if you text me for help, I am the first one to help you. But I'm going to try to I'm going to try to still be your teacher, even though I'm not technically your teacher anymore. I'm going to try to get you to think about it um, so that you can make great decisions for the rest of your career. Because at the end of the day, um, we are pressured to choose music that is harder than maybe our students can handle because we're so busy keeping up with the Joneses. And I am a big proponent of meeting your students where they are at, choosing music that's high quality and going to allow you to work on the things that they need to work on. And so, um, in my opinion, if uh, a, a young teacher is going to make uh, a decision that's going to have a negative effect on their concert cycle, it's probably they chose music that was too hard. Um, and if you do that, join the club. I've done it. And the <laughs> and I hate the concert cycles where I've done it so much that I so actively try to avoid doing it in the future. Um, only good things can happen when we leave room to teach music and not just worrying about getting our buttons pushed for the whole the whole time. So that's probably the biggest thing that I that I get and I try to steer steer people in the right direction. I I absolutely love that piece of advice because there's so many outside parameters that are and activities that are going on and you know for a young educator they think that they're simply selecting 
their program for the marching band. But the reality is, like you said, this is the first thing they're going to do. They've got to gain buy-in from their student leaders. They've got to meet their parents for the first time. They've got to figure out the the equipment, you know, if their equipment is in good condition, and do they have the players that have the chops to play these pieces that they want to play. And so there's so many unknowns, and I think that's such good advice too. And I can hardly fault a recent college graduate because they're coming out of college where they've been surrounded by other music majors and high-level performers, and they're probably big fans of DCI and the Drum and Bugle Corps, and they have these high aspirations, don't we all? But yeah, there's so many other challenges those first years, and I love that taking that into account through our programming can be done so intentionally because I can only imagine, I'm not an educator, but I can only imagine that if you over-program your group in the first year, all of a sudden you're going to be facing things like frustration issues, retention issues, and we've created all of these additional challenges that we didn't intend to create. For sure. And and not to paint too rose-colored of a situation because the inverse can be uh, true too. If if a young teacher uh, gets in a program where they constantly were playing everything at the top of their ability level and like just barely getting ready for the concert, if you come in and make a conscious choice to dial back the difficulty so that you can truly make music and teach musical concepts and not just um, get all the technique down for the concert... Um, your students might be like, why are we playing music that's easier? We can totally play music that's more challenging. Um, and, and as a first year teacher who wants their students to like them, that can be really frustrating. And so I, uh, I, first of all, I remember my high school band director saying, you cannot tell me you like or dislike a piece until after we've played it on the concert. I, uh, and I, and I always chuckled and rolled my eyes when he said that, but having been a band director now for a while, I totally got why he said that. Um, because we don't know what we like. We like what we know. And if we are used to playing stuff where it's high, fast and loud all the time, and all of a sudden we get this, this gorgeous ballad passed out to us. If you're not used to that, it might, it might take a little time for the students to, to buy into that. And so um, if someone goes, well, don't you want the students to have fun? Shouldn't we get their opinion? Um, you went to school for, for at least four years to be the expert in music education. Um, there are very few times where I get the student's opinion, where, I, uh, where it's uh, totally their opinion. I call it the illusion of democracy. What about instead of letting the students pick what piece they're playing, you present them with two pieces that you think would both work, and then they can choose between the two. They feel like they have some buy-in to that music, but you didn't actually give them the dis- the the complete decision. Um, and so uh, you also want to be a... Uh, a nice, fun human, uh, no matter what level of music you're teaching your students, the, the, the working on the music, the teaching, the concepts can be fun and enjoyable if you are fun and enjoyable and organized and they see that you're excited about teaching them these concepts, they'll be more excited about learning them. Um, I think we have to give 
um, high school and even junior high students more credit that um, if you present them music that is good for them, the music equivalent of eating your vegetables, um, they might surprise you. And and that if you present it like, oh, here's another chance for you to be a better musician, that they'll get excited about it. If you pass it out and be like, here, we got to do a slow tune because we got to work on tone. Um, they're not going to get very excited about it. Uh, so we want to we want to give our students a well-balanced diet of, of music so that they can learn everything they need to learn through the curriculum that is banned, uh, the, which is the music that we play. And therefore, that decision isn't as easy as going, oh, man, when I was in high school, I totally loved playing X. So we're going to play X. Well, when you were in high school... What was the instrumentation of your band? What was the ability level of your band? What, what, what information did you come into band knowing from your great elementary music teachers? Though The answers to those questions are different everywhere. So even though you might really can't, can't wait to conduct this piece when you're a teacher, um, if, if you do it right, you're going to be conducting a real long time. There are still pieces on my list of things I wish I could conduct that I have not been able to program yet. And I teach at a, at a college, my band can play nearly everything, anything. Um, but based on who's sitting in my ensemble at one time, I can't just go, oh, I'm going to pick any piece. And I teach college. So the if you're at a high school or junior high, the, you're going to have a whole laundry list of pieces you want to conduct someday. You don't have to get to all of them in your first year. You It gives you something to look forward to as you continue through your program. And I have found even at the college level, when I got to A State nine years ago, I had some pieces that I was like, man, I can't wait till I can conduct these pieces. And I couldn't do them right away. But then after putting in the time and effort and growing the the program and working and 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 at A-State, I know I'm much more fortunate um, than than most because we have people teaching uh, uh, private lessons on every instrument and they have theory teachers, and history teachers. It's it's not apples. It's 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 apples and hand grenades. The differences in the situation. Um, but it's really rewarding then after you put in the time and you do the work to get to where you want to go to then program that piece that you couldn't. Um, uh, don't deny yourself that great feeling of working with your group to getting to the place you want to be. Um, because if you rush it and program that piece you want to conduct right away, it, it's, it's just not going to be the time and place. Save it till it's the time and place. Yeah, that's that's such wonderful advice. And and I love a moment ago you made the reference of the illusion of democracy. And I suspect you and I could sit down and do an entire podcast episode on how to manage that concept in the classroom from just a classroom management component, the illusion of democracy and how to do that. But such wonderful advice that you're offering for really educators of all and how to program appropriately. You know, I, I hear this statistic that gets thrown around a little bit, and I think you have such an interesting perspective, and that's the high turnover rate and the high burnout rate of educators that are entering the field. Why do you think that is, and what advice do you try to lend your educators as they're graduating to help avoid that burnout? I mean, I've heard it's seven years is the average tenure of educators. Why do you think that is? Burnout is a real thing, and um, 
and sometimes it, it breaks my heart to see teachers who have the very best intentions and sometimes they're just in a situation where maybe they don't gel exactly with the administration or people have an unrealistic view of what can happen in a certain amount of time. And so uh, I think, I don't pretend to know the answer for everyone, but for my observation, I think if people enter the profession knowing that what they want to accomplish is going to take a career. Mm. We, we, we don't, we, we want instant gratification. We're in an instant gratification society and learning music takes time. It takes energy. It takes discipline. It is not an instant thing. Um, And so the people who come to college and major in music education and decide they want to be band directors most often they come to us because they had a great band experience and having a great band experience is awesome, but that is not being a music educator. And so when I I teach at a state intro to K-12 music ed and on the, uh, that's everybody uh, I teach it. It's a fall sophomore class. I teach it to every music ed major band, orchestra, choral, elementary, anybody who wants is a music ed major. And I tell them in the very first day, most of you are here because you really liked your high school band choir orchestra experience. Um, And if that's why you're a music teacher, you're going to need more than that, or you're not going to be a music teacher for long. Because liking band is not enough to be a great music educator. Because my love of band might serve as a little bit of my motivation for doing my job, but so much of my job has nothing to actually do with making music in band, that I might have an unrealistic expectation of what my job is. It's not, as the people who are listening to this podcast know, it's not just getting to make music with students 24-7. There's a a lot of hats that band directors wear, and an administrative hat is a huge hat that band directors wear. And so I, my hypothesis is that Um, even despite collegiate educators' best attempt to give them a realistic view of the profession, of which I try to do that. I tell tell everyone, it is not all sunshine and daffodils uh, 24-7. There, in my career as a public school teacher, there were there were times, you know, I would deal with a kid or deal with a parent or deal with an administrator and then immediately go to my office, shut the door and cry about something for a minute and then wipe my eyes and get back to work. And if if you're in it just because you love band, your love of band is not enough to deal with a, a difficult parent or a difficult administrator. Um, and I think that's why people burn out. So I, I want to be and, and uh, in my education of our students at A-State and in my work with everybody, um, A-State grad or not, uh, around the Mid-South and beyond, um, I, I want to meet them where they're at. I, want, I, I don't want to give them some advice like that you could find on the inside of like a Snapple cap or a fortune cookie. I want to know what specifically is your situation and let's find a solution to whatever your problem is. Um, and I, and don't be afraid to ask and tell people about your problem. Uh, I think a lot of times we see like the Instagram or Facebook version of band directing where, oh, look, we went to competition and we, here are our trophies, or we went to assessment and got a one, or look at all my kids get their medals at solo and ensemble. And those things are fantastic. And I, they need to happen. They, they're awesome to happen. But again, that's not even a band director's life 24 seven. Uh, we have so much work that goes into those moments. And so um, 
being really honest with folks about what the job is about um, and being really honest with folks about how everyone has troubles. There is not one program that I can think of in, in all the programs that I work with in the region that I, that I say they have no problems. Every program has things that are working for them and things that are working against them. And uh, I am a grass is greener where you water it person. Um, so if I am in a situation where something isn't going the way I want it to go, my first instinct is not to ditch that situation for a new situation. My instinct is to, okay, what is the root problem of the problem? And how can I fix that root problem? Um, I, I always want to go to administrator with a solution to the problem that I'm going to bring to them. So like if I'm a public school teacher and AP English is against band and so all my seniors leave me, that's a problem. Well, what's the root problem? The, the surface level problem is that all your seniors in AP English have to choose between band and AP English. But the root problem might be something deeper in the scheduling. So how can I fix that problem? Well, I'm going to go and talk to my counselor and be like, hey, can I look at the master schedule with you? Um, and, and, and can we figure this out? Can we add another section of AP English? I'm just going to talk to folks and brainstorm um, and try to solve the problems I have. And I think for folks that um, are worried about getting burnout, it's, it's, in my experience, it's they don't want to take the time to find the root problems and do all those things that are not band centric. And we have to be willing to roll up our sleeves and do things that are not band centric um, and talk to people in our building that aren't band directors, because you might be the only band director in your building. So you need to make friends with the other music teachers. If there are other music teachers, the other uh, administrative assistants, the custodial staff, your principals, you want to be known as someone who's a problem solver and not a problem creator. And I think the more you can do that, the more you can build these relationships to help your problems, the less likely you are to get burnt out because in the process of building these relationships to help solve the problems that affect your program, you're building meaningful relationships that could be someone to build you up when you need, when you need someone to listen. Um, so only good things come from taking holistic views of your program and your problems. And only good things come from in, uh, widening your network and making friends with the uh, people in your building, making connections to your local college. I think sometimes we get a little too territorial um, and anyone within commutable distance to A-State should know that even if you're not an A-State grad, we'll help you. I hope the A-State grads that go everywhere g totally rely on the college and mu uh, music programs by them to be uh, someone to lift you up or go to if you have a, a question. Yeah. There's there's so much good information that you just shared to unpack with our listeners, and I absolutely love the approach that you took there about making friends, making relationships, and solving the root cause rather than the symptoms, because I do think you're right. On the surface, we want to just combat the symptoms, but it'll just continue to repeat itself, and we all know the definition of insanity, right? It's to continue <laughs> to do the same thing and expect different results. And until we address that root cause, what's causing our discomfort, it's going to continue to rear its head. And so I, I think that's such good advice. In the love of music, I don't, th I have never, I've never heard that, but it makes so much sense now that you articulate it in such a clear manner. Because we do at Amro, we interact with a lot of directors, and the reason that we hear 
that people get out. It's the everything else. I, I just I just wanted to teach band, and I have to do all of this other things. And when I think about it, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Sarah, but you're prob- I, I completely agree. People want to be band directors and orchestra teachers and music educators because they had a great experience. They had a great educator, and they want to continue that momentum. But here's the other thing to keep in mind. That educator made hard things look easy. They had to do the administrative work. They had to get along with their boosters and their programs, but and with their administrators and their back-end support and their assistants. And they did all that, but because they were a great educator and they were an experienced educator, they made that stuff look easy, but it was still very present in what they did on a daily basis. It was still there. You just saw the part where they had the baton in their hand. For sure. Um, that That's exactly it. Um, and the when we are were in junior high and high school, the better your director was at doing that, the the more you could just love band, the the less you saw everything else that was going on. Kind of like a duck on the water. You don't see its feet fiercely kicking underneath. And so personally, I was really lucky that like I had third period study hall and my band director, because he knew at that time I wanted to be a band director, would speak very openly about the other stuff that was not directing band. Um, I learned score order to help organize libraries really young because that was some way I could help my high school band director do some of the things that stacked up that were not banned. And uh, I, you know, if I'm being honest, some of that stuff that's not banned, I'd like to do. Um, And I think that some of those, the more we can see, all of it as the job and less as, well, this piece of it I like and this piece I don't like. Um, well, this piece you don't like might enable you to do the piece you like. So we need to just think about the big picture. Um, and and we need to and we need to find our happiness in in band or orchestra and in teaching band and orchestra in successes that are defined maybe a little more broadly than maybe the successes we experienced as high schoolers. Um, Because if you were involved in a program where you were winning marching contests and you were always getting ones at concert assessment, you might have found your love for band as your love for winning. And if you're a first year teacher in a typical first year teacher job, there's not going to be a lot of moments where you can experience that success as you experienced it as a high school student. So we need to redefine what success is in the band and orchestra classroom. Maybe it's that your students finally know when they look at the second line G, they they know the name of the note and the fingering of the note. <laughs> That's a success. We're going to stop and, and clap. Man, one of the things that... Um, like my husband is a fantastic band director. And uh, if I'm ever lucky enough to be in his band room when they're having a band karate pass off day, uh, it is the most fun thing because as soon as someone passes off a line that maybe they were working on for a long time, he hits this big old gong and, and sounds like a wrestling announcer telling everyone to clap for this student. And like, you can't help but smile. And then everyone else wants to be the, the person that they're, that is checking something off so that they get the gong ring for them and everyone's clapping for them. And this is in beginning band and, and second year band. Um, and those students, you just see it in their face that they're as proud of themselves about crossing off their band karate line as I was in high school when, you know, I won outstanding field commander or something like that. And, and that can happen every day. 
Um, so I think if we kind of take a step back and celebrate all the mini victories that happen in a classroom, even if they're not the type of victories that you might have experienced as a high school band student yourself, that you can still create that feeling and everyone can still be perceived as a winner, even if they don't have a trophy to go along with that feeling. Um, and that's just contagious. Uh, it, it really creates... Um, it really creates a wonderful atmosphere for music making and camaraderie and really builds up that band family. Um, I, I think the, the notion of band family is maybe more important now than ever. Uh, and so the more we can appreciate the people in our cl band classrooms for who they are and where they're at and, and, and look with an objective set of eyes at, at what they're what they bring to the table, both strengths and weaknesses, and work to to capitalize on those strengths and minimize those weaknesses, and and complete the teaching cycle. Uh, the teaching cycle, if any listeners don't know, you first you start with a goal, and then you plan how you're going to meet that goal, and then you you work on it, you teach, and then you assess: Did we meet that goal? If not, go back, replan, reteach. Or if you did, reflect what went great, what would, what didn't, um, and then pick a new goal. Anytime we complete a teaching cycle in the classroom, whether it's the trumpets finally remembering to play F sharp on that one uh, melodic passage, or whether it's someone who got a note out of a flute head joint for the first time, all of that can be, anytime we complete that teaching cycle, it can be a victory moment in the classroom. And we don't always have to throw a party and, and put an announcement on the PA, but we can take a second and give snaps to everybody and then everyone feels good and they feel like they're learning and people that feel like they're learning, success breeds success. Uh, we just have to get used to defining success on a smaller scale so that we can add those up to even bigger levels of success later. That's Dr. Sarah Labovitz, Associate Director of Bands and Coordinator of Music Education at Arkansas State University, talking with Nick Averwater. This conversation will continue in the next episode of the After Hours Director's Spotlight, which is presented by Amro Music, a family-owned company since 1921. At AMRO, we work with over 600 schools in seven states to bring the joy of music to thousands of young musicians. And these partnerships make production of the After Hours podcast possible. Our director services department is ready to work with your school, too. Just email alan at amromusic.com or seth at amromusic.com. And you can hear many more conversations with music educators at amromusic.com slash afterhours. Hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, here are two easy and fast ways you can support the After Hours show. First, your five-star review means a lot as it helps to boost us in the podcast rankings so that other music educators just like you can find us. Second, if you thought of someone that would enjoy this week's content and episode, hey, please share it with them so that they too can be a part of the After Hours community. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.